Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from the venue of Orlando, Florida. We're at a convention center where the ASI 2018 International Convention is being held. And across from me is someone else who's making a huge contribution to people throughout Indian country and beyond. It's Karen Nicola. She is a grief educator. Karen, it's great to have you with us. It's wonderful for the invitation. Thank you, David. Karen, I have been hearing exciting things about what you're doing. Grief education, this is not on most people's radar screens, is it? No, in fact, sometimes I talk about it being like way in outer space, and I've got to bring this little planet that's out there and bring it right into the conversation. But as soon as it's there, oh, my, people's demeanor change, and they go, that's exactly what I need. Now, you have a fascinating background. I mean, a lot of people say grief educator. I'd love to do that. But there's this is not like a typical trajectory because your background is in education, right? I've been a classroom teacher for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, is actually the major piece that makes what I do more effective. Wow. So you feel like you know how to connect with people, how to communicate ideas. At what level did you teach? Well, I taught everything from first grade all the way through high school. Did the, you really? The high school classroom was my favorite. Uh-huh. And as a classroom teacher, I'm very untraditional, which means when I do my education and training for grief awareness and grief support, it's very untraditional. It's, it's okay. not, it's all around tables and small groups and people dialoguing and talking. I just get to facilitate their learning. It's so amazing. Mm -hmm. I was just talking with someone not all that long ago who had just gone through a loss and they were talking about how they went through a grief recovery class or a support group at a hospital. Would this be the type of setting where you would find yourself or do you do your classes and training in, in different venues? Well, because there's one of me, mm -hmm. I can't be at every hospital to do that. Fair enough. So I um, do focus on training others of how to successfully and confidently be the support for grieving people. Wow. What I get more and more and more is, I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And so they say and do the very thing that the next person does. They step back. They step away. They say nothing. And that grieving individual is left isolated in their pain, mm. thinking, my goodness, no one cares. No one's even saying the name of my husband anymore mm -hmm. or my son or my daughter. Mm -hmm. And and that just adds pain upon pain. So if somehow I can help to educate um, the rest of us so that we know how to step close to someone in their pain, what a difference that mm -hmm. will make, don't you think? Let's make it real practical. Let's say we're talking right now. And someone tuned in today, they have a friend who, let's say, oh, two months ago, maybe uh, had a daughter who committed suicide. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're hearing a lot of these stories now yeah. today. A lot of support around the funeral, uh, the immediate events around that loss. But now we're two months out. You see that person maybe in the grocery store. You see him at a tribal gathering. 
maybe even a powwow. I mean, maybe it's a festive occasion. Maybe it's a tribal council meeting, whatever it is. And your temptation is not to mention the daughter. You don't want to bring up painful emotions. Is that the right approach or what do you do? The little bit that I know about tribal grief is that there is a year's time where nobody says anything. And that's a reflection of the culture. And to honor that culture, I think, is important. But not always does our culture really guide us in the best way. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is at the end of that year, then there is a ceremony for that deceased person. So to suggest something that would be different than their culture, than the tribal culture, um, I don't know how at risk I am in saying some other alternative. No, sure, sure. No, I appreciate this. So let's. So basically, and I appreciate your your comments. So I don't have any expertise in working with grief in any tribal community. So you know, of course, there are hundreds of federally recognized tribes in a variety of tribal cultures. And what you're sharing is, at least, and you're 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 not native in your community, at least those that you know who are Native American, they've told you they have these traditions and these ways of grieving. Mm -hmm. If we're speaking in a broader construct, okay, so, of course, this show is meant to be especially relevant to Native Americans. The first point that I hear you making, Karen, is by all means, you're not saying cast aside your cultural values. So honor those cultural ways of grieving. Absolutely. But be aware also that the heart might be needing something different than what the culture has dictated, what mm. the norm has become. Um, it's that way outside of a tribal community. Uh, the, the culture in just North American people who, who avoid the topic of death, who avoid and deny, uh, is no better. You know, it, it doesn't offer a better uh, outcome for our grief. Mm -hmm. So I suppose the question we'd want to ask ourselves is, are we willing to open up a conversation? Is there a better way to grieve? Is there a better option so that my grief for the person who I love dearly um, can have new expressions, uh, fresh expressions that could be approved by mm -hmm. the by the culture that I live in? that could be allowed or permitted by that culture. And if it's not, then to fully understand exactly why not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if that why not is beneficial to my grief or not, then I have to decide what is best for my heart healing. Okay. So let's kind of rewind, so to speak. Yeah. We're, of course, just talking. We're dialoguing here and in real time. This is not a scripted show. So let's go back to that scenario. This time... It is a Native American individual, but they're living in an urban setting, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm not Native. Mm -hmm. I see this person who I know has lost a loved one a couple of months ago, or maybe the Native person is dealing with someone who's from a different cultural background. But we're all together. We're in this yeah. melting yeah. pot of urban America. What do we do in a normal setting if there isn't some other cultural values superimposed on that. What do I do to that person who lost a loved one, a daughter, mm -hmm. took her own life mm -hmm. two months ago? I know how painful it was to my friend or my associate in the, in the workplace. Mm -hmm. 
Do I say anything? I'm thinking about the daughter. When I walk up to the person and I say hello, that's in my mind. Do I keep hush about it? Or since I'm thinking about it, do I bring it up? Absolutely. This is the thing about a grieving person, and I would think it could be worldwide, that they're extremely sensitive to the authenticity of people around them. Okay. It's like we have these little extra antennae that, that are just reaching out there and going, oh, that person doesn't really care about my pain. They're just saying the platitude or the expected or the whatever. Mm-hmm. But if someone authentically, genuinely cares, so David, if, if, if you come up to a person that you've encountered that you haven't seen in the two months, mm-hmm. you know that her daughter has taken her own life, mm-hmm. that she was successful at that, um, and you would just say what you've just thought, mm-hmm. so-and-so, your daughter has been on my mind, and now I get to see you, and I, I just want you to know that I want to hear What's it like for you right now? Tell me. And that's that's the gateway. That's the open. Of course they want to talk about their child, their daughter, their, their husband, whoever it was who's taken their life or who has even just died by accident or any mm-hmm. other cause. But if we stay in that, that suicide scenario, I think we need to be very, very sensitive that we're not nosy just to want to get information Mm -hmm. about the death or something Mm -hmm. like that, but that we express ourselves with sincerity and that it really matters to me that you're hurting. Mm. Is this a good time? Do you want to talk? What we want to do is we want to leave the person in their grief with some control about what they choose and who they choose to talk to. Mm -hmm. And that we don't take that as a personal offense. We don't take that as, Oh, well, you know, and then we walk off in some way, Mm. leaving them um, dissatisfied. We're genuinely there caring that their heart is broken Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. they're carrying this pain in their life. Uh, That's that's enormous. Now, in the old days, they used to talk about going through stages of grief. And I know some grief counselors still seem to talk about that, you know, whether there's a phase of denial and anger and bargaining, you know, this whole process. Uh, Other people say, well, no, it's not so much a process. What's the current thinking, especially what do you find is practical as you work with people who are going through the grieving process? David, I'm so glad you asked that question because I think it's one of the things that sets us up for unhealthy grief. Mm. We think that we're supposed to start our grief path at one point of a straight line and finish it somewhere down the line. And then we've checked off every stage, boop, 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 and oh, we must be done. Mm. And that does not happen for those who live after the death of a loved one. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did amazing research in the 1960s about death and dying. Mm -hmm. And her observation of terminally ill patients was this line. Mm -hmm. You know, I just got this news. I'm in shock. Then I turn into denial because this can't be me. It's got to be another patient. This, you know, I've, I've done all these things and it can't be me. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's anger and then it's depression and then it's bargaining and then you finally adjust and then your life ends. Mm-hmm. So that's the perfect directory for that kind of, um, grief when you know you yourself are dying. And that works. 
mostly because you have a beginning and you have an end. Mm. And it's you going through the process. Right, mm. right. But when I'm the survivor of someone I love that has died, my process looks insanely crazy. Mm. There's nothing straight about that line. Mm-hmm. I illustrate it in my book as a spiral. Okay. Others illustrate it as just this mass of lines going every direction, mm. um, bouncing off of one emotion to the next emotion. And there's no way that you can predict it. Mm-hmm. But you can live it successfully in all of that chaos if you know how to grieve in a healthy way. So the focus is on healthy grief. You say you're also the author of a book. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. The book that we have authored, my husband and I, is entitled Comfort for the Day, Living Through the Seasons of Grief. It is a guide that is specifically guided through Scripture as the wisest counsel for the one who knows us best and most, our Creator who understands our deepest and darkest sorrows, is also there present for us in our deepest and darkest times with the assurance that He has the resources to heal this broken heart. Now, my healthy grief says, then I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to do my grief work. And grief work is usually something that most people have never heard a word about. I have heard of grief work. But then, of course, you know, as a physician, we sometimes get dragged through some things or introduced to things that are beneficial. And the reason I use the word drag through, sometimes um, in medical education, Things are done in a somewhat perfunctory way. We have to do this. We have to do that. And there really isn't the insight given to really training people to be effective. So when you say grief work, I've heard the term, but that's about it. So it doesn't sound like I've really gotten a good exposure to what that's all about, does it? Most of us haven't, David. Most of us haven't. I mean, most of us don't even know that there's options for grief, like there's healthy grief and there's unhealthy grief, let alone to even understand what grief work is. Well, we want to talk about grief work. We want to talk about more, and we want to hear more about comfort for the day, living through the seasons of grief. Have I got the title right? right. We're going to talk more to to Karen Nicola. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You're listening to American Indian Living. If you're dealing with loss, you want to stay tuned as we talk more with this uh, expert on the topic. And if you're not grieving right now, you need to listen because all of us at some time or another often will deal with grief. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical. 
medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose with Karen Nicola sitting across from me in the exhibit hall in Orlando, Florida. ASI 2018 is the venue. Karen has a master's in education. She is especially working in the area of grief counseling, grief recovery, dealing with this very important stage of all of our lives Karen, we've been speaking about this concept of grief work. Tell us a little bit more about it. Well, grief work means that we as the griever choose intentional activities, intentional activities that are going to be uh, in cooperation with heart healing rather than in opposition to our heart healing. So rather than numbing and... um, denying rather than pushing back our pain, we step towards our pain. We Mm. say we have a different view of pain. We first of all, we recognize that pain is not the enemy. Grief is not the enemy. That pain has a value. And you as a physician would know this, David. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The value of pain is? Well, it helps us protect ourselves, really, if nothing else. Definitely. Absolutely, it does. So it acts as an alarm. It says Mm -hmm. something's amiss here. Pay attention. And so the, the pain is our alarm. Our choice of what we do with it is our grief work. And in that grief work, as we choose to be in, intentional, we make a choice and say, every day I am going to acknowledge my grief. Hmm. Now, my grief on one day might be despair. On another day, it might be um, depression. On another day, it might be anger. On another day, or five times in one day, it could be all different things. So how am I going to engage with all this myriad of, of loneliness and uh, fatigue and, and all the things that grief brings into our lives? Well, 
we're going to handle them one at a time. We're mm -hmm. going to be aware. We're going to let the grief be our guide and to deal with it. So let me see if I'm understanding this, because sometimes when I've dealt with people who've had a loss, they tell me that one of the things that's helpful are the things that occupy their mind and cause them to forget oh. about their, their grief. So it almost sounds like you're saying, well, to forget about the grief or to try to forget about it, this is not desirable because it's still there. Am I hearing you right? Well, it's a nice balance mm -hmm. because we can't stay in a constant state of active grief. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy for us mm -hmm. to do so. Mm -hmm. But neither should we be in a mode of medicating it, denying it, pushing it away, and never facing it. Okay. So it is a really beautiful balance when we get there. And probably one of the easiest ways to, to illustrate that is a saying that my brother-in-law gave me. He said, grieve when you grieve, and when you don't grieve, don't grieve. Hmm. In other words, engage with your active grief when it is present. And when it is not, don't bring it up. Hmm. Let yourself have that rest. I suppose it's one of the kind of like the just the rhythms of the physical and emotional self. Mm -hmm. um, because we can't stay in that constant state of mm -hmm. that active grief, it would kill us. Hmm. Um, so we grieve when we grieve, and when we don't grieve, we give our, ourselves permission not to be in that active state. Okay, so for a person who has had a loss, I mean, of course, it seems if the loss is closer in time, there's more likely to be more time where they're grieving. Is that true? And usually as time passes, the thoughts of grieving often lessen, maybe except when anniversaries or special occasions come. Is that safe to say? I think that's pretty safe to say, David. There's definitely an intensity early on, mm -hmm. uh, there is, you know, there, there's very little way that you can even distract yourself um, in those early hours, those early days, those early, early weeks when someone important has died. As time passes, how we deal with that does kind of decide, I, I, I put it in a spiral mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as an illustration in our book that it's very intense. This little spiral is pretty tight in the center. And mm -hmm. as it goes out, there's a greater distance between okay. the regret or the shame or the anger or the sorrow or the sadness. And, and those begin to separate a little mm -hmm. further and go further out and further out. What, what changes grief significantly, though, is the capacity to complete or finish the unfinished business with hmm. the deceased. So help us about uh, that whole process. What do you mean the unfinished business? Well, David, if, if by some horrible incident today your wife died, hmm. would there be not unfinished conversations? Hmm. Would there not be the possibility of some regrets? I wished I would have said or done. Hmm. I wished I would have been or could be. And so it's these these would have, could have, should have. It's mm -hmm. the if onlys. Mm -hmm. uh, we use the word regret mm -hmm. as the kind of the overall. Mm -hmm. um, and and completing those mean that we deal with them. We, we interact with that and we allow a space to be able to communicate what is so deep in our soul that we would want to have changed. Mm. And that communication is typically done in writing, typically done in um, maybe a series of several letters uh, because we can't capture it all in one spot. 
So you mean you're actually writing a letter to the deceased person as if yeah. they could read it? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. Now, some people might find that to be a little bit odd. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so far, all the people that I've worked with have really recognized. When I address this letter, and today, 33 years later, after our son's death, mm. on his the anniversary of his death, and we visit his graveside, I will address a letter to him. Mm. Because what would he be like at 35? And Dawson, I wondered this about you, and I wondered that about you, and mm-hmm. his name is Dawson. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's, there's, he's, he's not benefiting, obviously. He's, he's right, dead. Right. But I benefit by being able to communicate that to finish my unfinished business huh. over him, uh-huh. wondering what it would be like to have him as an adult son. Mm-hmm. Another way, if a person is uncomfortable with that, mm-hmm would be to address a letter to God and Mm. express to God what they would have liked to have done or said for their loved one. Because God is obviously still alive, still very aware, still definitely involved as the healer of our broken Mm. heart. Mm. So why not write it to him? So either way works. You've been working with many people going through this journey of grieving. Tell us a story about someone who was struggling in the grieving process who you or you and your husband were able to help. Well, one family that comes to mind is amazing. Um, It had been nine years out since the youngest son, which would have had had died in a climbing accident. And when I met this family, uh, they were in their late 60s, early 70s, Mm -hmm. uh, and their oldest son was living at home with them. And had been living at home with them all this nine years. Mm -hmm. So obviously the oldest son lost his brother. The Mm -hmm. parents lost their son. Mm -hmm. When I first met them, they were so incapable of being kind or nice to one another. Really? They were so filled with anger. They were so filled with um, the dysfunction that the pain of their loss had developed into their norm. Uh, there's a saying that we use that says, hurting people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, they were like emotional cannibals. They were just devouring one another. And they couldn't get out of this cycle. It was mm-hmm. so painful for them. However, they agreed that they would do their grief work week by week mm-hmm. and participate in the week sessions when we would meet together. And so we met as a family of three for the first time in nine years. They listened Mm -hmm. to each other tell their personal story Mm -hmm. of what happened to them Mm -hmm. when that family member died. No one had sat there. Hmm. And could they sit there and listen to one another's stories? And it was life-changing for them. The, the son was just, the living son was just shocked to hear the story of how each of their, of his parents had responded to the death of his brother. Those parents had never heard the story of their surviving son and how he had responded to the death of his brother. Just in hearing those stories, it opened their hearts to one another. Mm. And slowly as their hearts began to open to one another and they began to accept the healing processes of their grief work, were they able to now be able to listen to each other, understand each other? They went from alcohol use as a distraction for their pain Mm -hmm. to not using alcohol anymore. Mm. They went from a a family who had spent 
the previous nine Christmases flying out of their hometown miles away across the United States to drop themselves into the family Christmas party, getting on the plane and flying back, Mm -hmm. to within two months of the time we started working with them, the wife got out her cookie recipe and started baking Christmas cookies. Mm. Decided that worked so well, she got her Christmas decorations out. That worked so well, they hosted Christmas at their house. Mm. The first Christmas that they had celebrated as a family of three with healed hearts. When their guests came in, Mm -hmm. they said, this household is different than anything we've ever seen. Huh, amazing. It is amazing. So it begs a lot of questions. There's a lot more that we need to talk about because these stories, as engaging as they are, they say like, well, what's happening? What's going on in these processes and what changed? We have to talk more about grief. I'm speaking with Karen Nicola. She is walking us through grief, and she's going to tell us more about her book, Comfort for the Day, Living Through the Seasons of Grief. That's what's coming up in our next segment of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living, coming right up after this. Don't go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live united. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. It is Dr. David DeRose with Karen Nicola. Karen has been helping us better understand this process that we call grief. Karen, in our last segment, you were sharing an amazing story, a family who had not really grieved. They hadn't gone through this process individually or together. They were all fighting. There was dysfunction. And something dramatically changes as you expose them to some of the things that we're talking about. We really want to know what those things are because (laughs) no doubt there are people listening today that say, we're going through this right now. It's been eight years or it's been three years or even if it's only been a year, that's too long, isn't it? Yeah. What did you do? Well, grief with the family is a complicated piece Mm. because every person grieves in their own unique way. We all have a unique thumbprint, fingerprint. Everybody has a unique relationship with the deceased Okay. And when they began to realize that they were not going to grieve in the same way, they gave each other that permission. Okay. I get okay. it. So dad's grief is different than mom's. Mom's grief is different than oldest son. And that gave them some freedom to let each other have their own space to grieve. But two other pieces were really crucial in turning mm-hmm. this ship around for them. And the one piece that is, was the most crucial for all three of them was their role that they had entrenched themselves in with their regrets and their guilt, Hmm. their blame and their shame. And that piece, as long as they would hold on to that piece, they could never make a forward step in their grief. Now, I'm very interested in this because you mentioned guilt, blame, shame. I mean, of course, like you mentioned earlier, there's always these what ifs, Mm -hmm. if onlys. Is there a tendency to blame other people when there's an untimely death? And was that part of what was going on in that family? That's so huge. They even blamed the son. I mean, the one who died? The one who died. Hmm. Because he had been an opiate addict. Been stealing from the family, been taking medications that were not his. They blamed themselves because they couldn't intervene in his addiction. The older brother blamed himself because he wasn't there to stop his brother from the... And it was a sincere... Um, accident that caused his death. It mm-hmm. wasn't related to the drugs. Mm-hmm. But they all had their shame and blame about what they had or had not done for this son or this brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they couldn't change any of that. He was dead. And so they lived with that pain all those nine years. And that was the pain that was separating them from one another. So one by one, as they began to realize the power of God's forgiveness for very enormous part that they felt that they contributed mm. to the low quality of life of this son, of this brother, whatever whatever it was that mm-hmm. they felt they were responsible for, to experience that miracle that they were forgiven was the most freeing, amazing, beautiful thing to witness. And each one of them, by this time now, I worked with them on an individual basis Uh because those were their own personal private places Mm -hmm. that they didn't have to share with one another. But I first worked with the dad, and he was stunned and shocked that the good news of the gospel was Mm -hmm. that good, was Mm -hmm. good enough to forgive him completely. Mm -hmm. The mother, who just was had had been attending church and thought that, um, you know, she, she knew it and it was all okay, had never seen the gospel Mm -hmm. of forgiveness Mm -hmm. and how utterly 
available God's forgiveness was to her without her having to twist God's arm. Mm -hmm. That it was part of his character, was part of his nature to forgive. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked with the, with the brother, it was just the best news to him ever. So for these, this family of three Mm -hmm. to open their heart to the forgiveness that God had for each of them. And then to be able to share then now, okay, dad, mom, I forgive you for the things I saw you do Mm. to my brother. Okay, I forgive you now, adult son, for the things you did. I forgive the other partner, the spouse. And so now they were able to give forgiveness to one another. Now you talk about healing. Now I'm really trying to process this as you're telling us the story. And I'm trying to ascertain whether just your method of of approaching this or whether it was actually their perceived need that the greatest need was self-forgiveness. So if I had asked the son, you know, as as we're looking at, if he was just totally open, I was to say, you know, your brother is dead. He died nine years ago. As you look at who was responsible, you know, or who could have intervened, would he have said, well, me, first of all, I'm just overcome with grief because how high messed up or would they have more likely said, and even in general, are people more likely to blame other people than take that self-blame? Do you see why I'm asking the oh, question? Oh, absolutely. And it can go both ways. They blamed the deceased son. Mm-hmm. So they processed, okay, so I'm going to forgive him for being the addict in our home oh, okay. and, and destroying our home so badly. Okay. So there was that forgiveness of that mm-hmm. blame of another. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can go right to as I would kind of say, the juggler, you know, so the, okay. the, the, as, as you just posed this, uh-huh. this was this was a process of being right, able right. to evaluate their relationships. Uh-huh. We do this on a timeline. Okay. And this evaluation evaluates our good and positive memories on the mm. timeline above mm. and the ones that aren't so good, oh, the nice. ones that do really get us in the gut that go, man, I would have done that one differently. Mm-hmm. So we have very specific things on this timeline that affirm the relationship and that say, that's the piece that I want to say I'm sorry for. Hmm. And so each of them did that in their own space. But I want to talk about the old, oldest brother. Yeah. Because in, in addition to the forgiveness for him, his previous nine years until I met him, he had become so identified as the grieving older brother hmm. that the thought of not being the active griever over his brother was like an identity crisis. Huh. And I had to really ask him, do you want to continue to be identified as your brother's champion griever? Or are you ready to let yourself move forward? Hmm. So so how did he respond to that? Did he think that was a strange question or had he actually realized he had taken that role? By this time in our in our work together, he had fully recognized that his identity was very wrapped up in the death of his brother. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that you assume that if I let go of that identity, I'm going to be dishonoring my brother. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge paradigm shift. No, you will always love your brother. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the best ways to honor him is to live a full life forward, okay. not to handicap yourself uh-huh. in your grief from the past. Okay. I, I love this concept because, like you said, and I, I'm thinking actually of a patient I have right now. Uh, this gentleman, you know, lost a wife some years ago, and it's basically, you know, every time I see him, I mean, one of the first things out of his mouth is, 
you know, like, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm, 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 you know, a widow or I've lost my, you know, the love of my life, etc., etc. So really his identity, every time he works through the doors of that clinic is, you know, the grieving spouse. Exactly. And this is a common thing, isn't it? It's very some? common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very common for parents whose, whose child has died mm-hmm. and they create that identity with that child. Um, and, and don't ever move forward. And it's just a misconception. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this fear. It's, it's fear driven that if I, if, if, if I identify myself healthy in grief and free for new relationships, that in some way that's going to deny the existence of my loved one. You see, it's, it's a fear because Mm -hmm. that's not reality. Right. Right. But the reality is, is that a healthy broken heart that's being healed says, I will forever and always love my loved one Mm -hmm. because love never dies. I can't carve that piece out of my heart Mm -hmm. and have it go away. It's Mm -hmm. there forever. Right. So that love will always be there. My memory of that loved one, is as, is as close to my choice to go back and be present in that memory. Mm-hmm. But do I need to let that now be my signature card from here forward? Mm. Or am I going to allow that kind of healing that goes so deep that says, well, I'll give you an example. Okay, please. At, uh-huh. at, at the bereavement camp, I worked for children. Okay. A little eight-year-old girl uh-huh. lost her eight-year-old friend to a horrible, horrible murder wow. by her own father and who then murdered her mother and then killed himself. So this little eight year old girl. Let me see if I've got this. So so this girl's father No. This girl's friend was killed by her father and then that father killed the mother and then he killed himself. So wiped out the family of three. So the girl is not her no direct family member of hers dies. It's the father of her friend who killed the whole her family. Friend. Who killed right. the friend, the mother. So her little eight-year-old oh, wow. friend was killed by... <sighs> okay. Yeah. So this little girl went through camp, and her takeaway at the end of camp was, I have learned from this four days that I can make new friends hmm. and still keep Mackenzie, the deceased best friend, hmm. as special in my heart. Hmm. She learned that she could make new friends and still keep the deceased little friend that she had in her heart. Because what she was thinking before that was because Mackenzie was her best friend, to have another best friend, that would be betraying Mackenzie. There we go. Exactly. Wow. This okay. little eight-year-old girl got that in mm. four days at, at Camp Agape Bereavement Camp. Wow. So, you know, th- that was so profound for me to see her make that transition, uh-huh. to be able to go, okay. I can engage in new friendships now and still keep Ms. McKinsey as my special friend. So here's the question, a very practical one. You're talking about running camps. People are listening. Maybe they have children who are grieving. Are you telling us that you're still running programs where people can come and interact with you? Okay, so this is a camp I volunteer at. I do oh, okay. not run. Okay. I volunteer as the head grief coordinator, grief coach mm-hmm. of all the therapeutic activities. Okay. So I just pop myself in Camp Buckner. Camp uh, Buckner. Yeah, out of Austin, Texas, and it's actually called Camp Agape. They rent the facility at Camp Buckner for these kids. And it is a Christian camp for kids ages 7 through 12. 
mm-hmm. happens every summer in July. And, and do they come from all over? They can. Do they really? Mm-hmm. They can. Camp Agape. Mm-hmm. Camp Agape, Texas. Okay. It's really called Camp Agape, Texas? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, if I look on, uh, you know, put on it into Internet, Google Camp Maps, Agape, Texas. I'll find a place called Camp Agape. You will find the organization that sponsors that week of camp. Okay, so the week is called Camp Agape. Okay, this is very interesting. What about you? People want to contact you. They want your book. What's the best way to do it? The best way to get our book, Comfort for the Day, Living Through the Seasons of Grief, is through our website, mm-hmm. uh, comfortfortheday.com. And you can purchase through us directly. Those books are of higher quality paper and binding than what you will get on, on Amazon. Amazon also carries it, as well as Barnes, Barnes & Noble. Okay, comfortfortheday.com. If I go there, I can get your book. Are there other materials that are there available at Comfort for the Day? Yes, there are. Tell me about it. We have a series and a line of greeting cards bereavement cards really? that you can also purchase um, to give to those who are grieving. Wow. So I can get the uh, the book. I can get cards. Anything else there on comfort for the day? Well, the other thing is the services we provide, which includes training and education that I come and speak about soon and shortly. There will be video programs that will also be downloadable for you. Really? Well, we have got one more segment coming up. I've got some other questions, and no doubt you do, too, that you want to ask Karen. Of course, it's not an interactive show, but we were going to come back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. 
Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Karen Nicola. We're talking about grieving. Karen, you've been sharing with us things that help people on that journey, dealing with the loss of a loved one. But, you know, one of the questions that I've had as we've been going through the show is there are other things that we grieve over. We don't just grieve over lost people, but, you know, someone is grieving because they worked for a company for 20 years and they were passed over multiple times. They've not been given that position. Maybe they lost their job that they loved. Maybe uh, they lost their home. I mean, is this real? Uh, do they really have grief over these things? Or do we just tell them, you know, come on, smile, live with it and get over it? Mm-hmm. There is a whole variety of losses that we grieve over. And when I do my workshops, I illustrate it with a big giant umbrella. Uh-huh. I call it the grief umbrella. Okay. And underneath that grief umbrella, then we start to put in all the other things that, that people deal with that are considered losses. Now, the degree to which we have grief about them and how we handle them is related to the relationship to that loss. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, a child who lost his or her innocence Ah, uh, from some rape or some uh-huh. mishandling. Uh-huh. That's a huge loss that's right, going to right. affect them the rest of their life unless they deal with that loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 older people who are losing their abilities and their capabilities, they okay. can't drive a car any longer, uh-huh. they can't cook their own meals anymore, those those are huge losses for them at a very vulnerable time in their life. Mm-hmm. Then there is the pet loss that is so okay. enormous for so many people because uh-huh. that pet is that unconditional loving figure in your family, in, mm-hmm. in your household. And when they're not there, that's a, that's a huge hole that they leave. But other losses include, you know, the loss of wealth, finances, investments. Uh, we can lose our integrity. We can lose trust. We can lose wow. jobs. We can lose homes. Now, that's big. I just uh-huh. moved away from Sonoma County a year ago. And last September was this enormous fire that took 5,000 homes out. Wow. In California, as we speak today, another community in Northern California has experienced another 1,000 homes mm. that are just gone. Mm-hmm. The devastation of that type of fire loss when you go back to your home and there's just ashes. People result, respond to that in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. We have some people that post on Facebook. They'll put their burned up motorcycles on the front of the, on the, on the picture in front of their house. And, well, I guess I won't go riding today. And they make mm-hmm. a joke about it. Mm-hmm. And, and others are stuck in trauma from that loss because uh-huh. I worked with a whole, um, school full of teachers whose school burned down to the ground. Wow. Every teaching aid and material was ash. They had to start teaching, like, from scratch. That's an enormous loss mm-hmm, if you've had mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years of developing your resources for teaching. Mm-hmm. So the trauma, it just depends upon personality, temperament, mm-hmm. um, resilience, and mm-hmm. that's a big word that we talk about mm-hmm. today. And so people are going to be varied in how they respond to it. So now 10, 12, 10, 11 months after this fire in Sonoma County, 
there are plenty of people who say, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I'm moving out. I can't mm. stay here. It's mm -hmm. too hard. Mm. So there are a whole gamut of, of losses that humanity encounters all the time. So when you run your seminars or do your training events, right now are you putting your energy into training the trainer, so to speak? Or are you actually helping people still who are, are grieving in your seminars? I do both. Mm -hmm. I, I do both sides. So I, I'm available at any time to give a seminar and workshop on just basic healthy grieving. Oh, okay. I'm developing a six-part series that will soon be on um, video uh -huh. called Grief Options. Okay. And that will be just enormously beautiful when I can get that out online. Mm. I also do training on how do we come alongside and support a person mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. is grieving. How do we do that in the workplace? when we've had a major death, a major mm -hmm. loss. An example of that would be um, a dentist office that called me following the death of one of the hygienist's oh, sons. Wow. Uh -huh. Her son was murdered by his roommate. <sighs> wow. Now, the type of death just is, is so remarkable that you just think, how can you do this? Right. And so all the other hygienists and the dentists in the office, everybody who knows her, they're just overwhelmed with mm -hmm. this loss that their dear friend is experiencing right, right. the death of her son by the hand of murder. Mm -hmm. So they called me in and we did about a two and a half hour session together, um, understanding grief in general so that they would understand what her experiences might be. Mm -hmm. And then we developed a plan to bring her back into the office and how they were going to behave and talk and, and, and be with her in her pain and mm -hmm. let her know that, that, that matters to them, that, that her heart is hurting and that this might not be an easy day for her to work and how they would cover for her. And they, they came up with their own plan mm -hmm. on how they were going to integrate her back into the workplace. Mm -hmm. So someone who's been tuning in, they say, boy, we'd love to have uh, someone like you at maybe a tribal gathering. We'd love to have you come to a, maybe an urban uh, native center, a, a clinic. Are you available to do things like that? I am available to do things like that, yes. And do people need to get a hold of you through the website, or what's the best way to reach you? The website's a fine way to get a hold of me, absolutely. Now, give us that website again. Comfortfortheday, all one word, dot com. Comfortfortheday.com. Or on my Facebook page, Comfort for the Day. Okay, so as long as I remember Comfort for the Day, I'm remembering the title of the book, mm -hmm. the website... Mm -hmm. And your Facebook mm -hmm. page. Mm -hmm. So as long as I realize that I need comfort when I'm grieving, and you're saying you basically... day by day. And I need comfort it day by day. day. Karen, you know, here's, here's one thing that, that I think a lot of people are wanting me to ask you. Because they've got conflict in their home because of something you alluded to earlier, and that is the different ways that people grieve. Is this really all that common that people kind of blame one another that you don't love that person or you're not grieving like I am, so therefore there's something wrong with you? Is, is this a common scenario? David, that's such a brilliant observation. It is a common scenario, and it's, it's one of the saddest things that we would place judgment upon each other because we grieve different from one another mm. rather than... Explain to me what it's like for you today. I just mm -hmm. want to know. Mm -hmm. And then the other person in the family or the friend or whatever, so tell me what it's like for you. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that 
there are there's this diversity. There's no two relationships that are alike. There's a group of six siblings, and the father dies. Uh huh. Are those six siblings going to have the same grief? They can't, mm-hmm. because each one of them had their own personal relationship with that father. Right, right. And so they're going to grieve in relationship to that relationship. They're going to mm-hmm. grieve like what that relationship was. Mm-hmm. They're going to grieve in their temperament. They're going to grieve in their birth order. Mm-hmm. They're going to grieve in what history and what has been taught to them about their pain. Huh. So it's so uh-huh. different for every uh-huh. one of us. Uh-huh. My husband and I, we are mm-hmm. we shared the death of our son. Right, right. Did right. we grieve alike? Uh-huh. No, we didn't mm-hmm. grieve alike. I grieved like a mama, he grieved like a daddy. Right, right, right. I grieved like the firstborn that I was. Uh-huh. He grieved like the middle child that he was. Okay. He grieved in his temperament uh-huh. of phlegmatic. I grieved in my temperament of choleric. Uh-huh. You see, so we can't even begin to grieve alike. And even with you knowing all this, and maybe you didn't know it all at we that point. We didn't know it then, no. But was there that temptation to say, you know, what's your problem? Why are you not, you know, crying in the corner? Definitely uh, there was that temptation. And that uh-huh. is one of the things that implodes with a family, whether it's a spouse, which is high risk of divorce after the death of a child, mm-hmm, or whether mm-hmm. a family just fractures after the death of, 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 a, of a child in a family mm-hmm. system or... And it doesn't have to be that way. And I guess that's my heart concern is that there are grief options. There are better options than the ones that culture dictates or the ones that our, our own dysfunctions guide us into. There are so many better options to grieve well hmm. than the way that, you know, than, than to grieve in ignorance and, 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 and remain you know, a shattered, broken person the rest of our lives. That's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. the intention from mm-hmm. the creator of the universe. I love this picture. There is hope beyond grief. Yeah. If yeah. we're struggling in our grieving, whether it's a recent loss yeah. or a loss a long time ago, there is help. One of the places they can go for help is to the website. Absolutely. Comfortfortheday.com. Mm-hmm. And Karen, do you personally handle, are there a way to contact you if you, people have questions or want to interact yeah, with you? Yeah, if anybody leaves a message on my website, I'm back on with them right away. Okay. Absolutely. Or on my Facebook Comfort for the Day page. So, yeah, absolutely, I will respond. And if I want to get a book, I can get it right there at Comfort for the Day. You can. If I'm kind of suspicious of buying from a website I don't know, go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon. But I absolutely. won't get as... Uh, that is nice high quality. Really? Yeah. Now, that is really an interesting uh, an interesting premium. Well, they do a, a, a digital print uh-huh. on demand, uh-huh. and we've we've printed a large number I got that it. we have all off-press, off-set Tr- press. Tremendous. we got to run. Our time is out. But, Kieran, thank you so much for uh, carving time out of your busy schedule. It was wonderful, David. Thank you for tuning in today to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.